you don't know much about it, ask the person above you in, in ministry here, but um, the flyers are outside as you leave tonight. You can grab one to get more information or sign up on the sign-up sheet there on the Oak Box. Well, welcome tonight. Good to see you as we uh, continue our Wednesday night Bible study that we actually began, if you recall, we, we began the book of Numbers on the first Wednesday night of January of this year. So we've been in the book most of the year, uh, and we've been studying diligently. You've been here each week, and I'm glad, but we're in chapter 33 tonight, so let's open our Bibles there. We're really coming to the close in these final chapters of uh, this Old Testament book of Numbers, which begins and ends with a numbering of the people, the children of Israel, who were in bondage 400 years in Egypt, who God miraculously delivered through the hand of Moses and his sovereignty. And uh, it's been a wonderful study. Last week, as we're going through these final chapters, last week you'll recall the uh, children of Israel are right on the bank of the Jordan River. They can see Jericho. They're, they're that close. And when we get to the book of Joshua, the first thing they, they do is they go into uh, uh, the uh, land of Canaan across the Jordan River. They'll get to Jericho, and that's the first challenge they have. And Joshua, General Joshua, one of the two that said at Kadesh Barnea 38 years before, we can do this. But 10 of the spies said, we can't do it. And that unfaithful belief led those people 38 years through the wilderness, just tromping around, zigzagging back and forth through the wilderness until that generation died. Now, the new generation really is what these last chapters are all about, have come. And two and a half tribes have decided, uh, we don't want to go across the Jordan River. We want to stay on the, the east side of the river. And Moses sees that as a compromise for them. And so he says, listen, that's not right for you to kind of bail when we've got to this point. And God has promised that for us, and you want this? But God wants you to have this promised land. It's filled with flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's, it'll be the provision that, that God's promised you sovereignly. It's going to be better for you, but you're willing to settle for second best? Well, okay, you can do that, but you must fight with us to gain this land. And that was the deal. So these two and a half tribes are going to be given this land that basically they've just conquered. It's the Moabite and the king there. Um, they, they want that land, but they're going to now go into the promised land and fight. Their fighting men are going to fight with the rest of the other tribes of Israel. Now, we come to chapter 33, and this is really a review of the past 40 years. So it's a really, it's a long chapter, but a quick review. And if you hadn't noticed, we're going to have communion tonight. We normally have it on the first Sunday of the month, and it was supposed to be this past Sunday night, but we had that concert. So we're having it tonight. This is your bonus tonight. But at the end of our service tonight, we'll have communion. But here in chapter 33, it's all a review of the last 40 years from Ramses in Egypt all the way to the, the Jordan River and Kadesh, Barnea, and into that place where they find themselves now. So I've titled this chapter From Egypt to Jordan because that's the review that we're going to get and some wonderful application along the way. So let's ask God's blessing and then we will jump into our study. Father, thank you for this evening uh, to study your word. And I thank you for these faithful uh, family, my family, who will come out on a Wednesday night after a long, busy day, a hot day of work. Refresh us, Lord, with your word. Teach us, Lord, and may we learn and understand the scriptures, the Old Testament, so that we might be better Christians, better followers of Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, this is a review, the review of the places that Israel camped. There's a bunch of names here. I'm going to do my best to uh, say the names. And by the way, I was, when I came in here tonight, I, just before I came in here, you guys were worshiping, and one of Edward's sons was out in the hallway getting a drink of water, and I said, boy, how am I going to say all these names? And I showed him the scripture with all these names. And he, he looked at him, seriously, he looked at him, and he goes, can you write them on your hand? <laughs> I said, that's a great tip. I'll try that. 
We're going to look at a bunch of names. That's kind of what this really is all about. But we begin from Egypt to Sinai, the first bit from Egypt to Mount uh, Sinai there. Verse 1, these are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journey at the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to the starting points. Verse 3, they departed Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also, on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Now remember the, the plagues. The final plague was the, the death angel that came. And if you didn't follow God's instruction of killing the Passover lamb, eating the flesh, and putting the blood, the blood was what saved the people and caused the Passover lamb, that's why they call it Passover, the, the Passover angel, pardon me, the death angel came and passed over your house because you were obedient and by faith you put the blood, and it was the blood that pictured future Christ, was the blood on the doorpost and the lentil that was put there that brought them out and safely, and their children, their firstborn, was spared. But the Egyptians, they could care less about the God of the Hebrews, and their firstborn died. Thus, that point there that Moses makes there in verse 4, the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn. Now, remember the ten plagues, just really quick. The ten plagues, each plague was against one of the main gods of Egypt. So the Egyptians worshipped frogs. Remember the frog plague? They worshipped locusts. Remember the plague of locusts? They worshipped the Nile River, the mother river that provided life-giving water. They worshipped the river. God turned it into what? The blood. So every one of the plagues was a judgment against the gods, false gods, of Egypt. So God judged the Egyptians, all of their sacred false gods in those 10 judgments. Verse 5, then the children of Israel moved from Ramses and camped at Succoth. They departed from Succoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. They moved from Etham and turned back to Piharoth, which is east of Bel-Zephon. Then they camped near Migdal, they departed from before Heroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness, went three days' journey in the wilderness to Etham and camped at Mara. Now, each one of these cities is, or each one of these camping places, there was something that happened. I could go into all the details, but you'll remember Mara. It means bitter. That was where they got, and their water was, they couldn't drink it, and they complained. God, why did you bring us to a place with bitter water? Remember the whole scene. So each one of these encampments is important. Each one has a story. God tells Moses, I want you to write this down because I want my people to remember me and what I did to get them through. And so each city, or each, pardon me, encampment has a specific meaning. And then verse uh, 10, they move from Elam <coughs> and camp by the Red Sea. They moved from the Red Sea and encamped to the wilderness of Sin. They journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dopkah. They departed from Dopkah and camped at Elush. They moved from Elush and camped at Riphidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. Remember that? You know, that was another one of those. There was no water here. Why didn't you bring water? Uh, Moses, where's our water? They complained and moaned and groaned. Verse 15, they departed from Riphidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. So again, these are just all the places the people camped. They're remembering the situation surrounding each one of the encampments. So this chapter becomes, as you read it in its entirety, it becomes really an example of the sovereignty of God and how he's dealing with his people, these people that have been really godless in a foreign land, Egypt, for 400 years as slaves. They're watching the other gods, the Egyptian gods. They're trying to remember and retain who they are as Hebrews, but it's really hard. They, they, they need leadership. They need to learn. So God is taking through this process of 
they're now learning what it means to be a faithful follower of God because they're not very faithful. They whine a lot. They complain as we've learned as we've gone through the book of murmuring or the book of numbers is, is really its title. So they've gone through these cities and they've gone through these places and history is his story. History is, is God's sovereign work to lead a people in his plan. And man has volition and man has free will. And man chooses not to obey God. And they go a different direction, a different direction. And God will, through discipline, God will, through natural occurrence, God through, he has all kinds of ways to get his people back into his plan. But he's going to make his plan happen. You cannot thwart the will of God. God is sovereign. He's going to have his way. But will you submit and will you allow that will to happen in days? Or will you take 38 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. Think about that illustration, that example for us. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a place for us to walk. But so often we know better. I know better, God. I'm going to go this way because it's better for me. I can see over. I can't see there. I don't know where to step there. And God says, this is where I want you to go, my child. Walk this way. Take this step. Oh, I can't see, Lord. It, it's scary. It's it brings fear. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about what's going to happen. I want to go this way. Okay, well, if you go this way, I'm going to get you back on this path, but it might take this and that and this and all these hardships to get you back into this area, this path. Again, it took these people 38 years. God writes history. He plans history. It's his story, and he's going to make it happen with or without man. I hope you understand that. The more you read the Bible, the more you understand God is in control, complete control. It's up to us, though, to submit to his plan. Psalm 33, 11, notice this verse behind me. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the, the plans of his heart to all generations. God is sovereign. And when we're disobedient, like Israel, when they're disobedient to God's plan, God overruled them like he often does. I think if you'll think a little bit about your walk with Christ, you'll find that God has overruled you, and aren't you glad? Praise the Lord, he's overruled me over and over. Thank God for that. And you look back, it's hard, it's hard, it's difficult going through it. It's difficult, that valley, you're in the valley, it's dark and deep, and you're in, there's unknown, and there's fear, and there's sickness, and there's difficulty around you. But then God leads you to the mountaintop, and you look back in the valley and say, Lord, I'm glad you brought me that way. I'm glad I didn't have to go that way. God is so good, and he does this. And here in this story, we find out how God is leading these people so wonderfully. He's a great God, and he's led them right to the edge of this great sea. And as they look behind them, they see the Egyptian army approaching. But God has a plan. Nothing can thwart his plan. And so what does he do? opens up the Red Sea. Wow, how powerful, how mighty your God is. What sea does God need to open in your life tonight? Does your God have the power and the authority to move the mountain that is before you? Absolutely, but will you trust him? Will you let him? That's the question. So God, in his absolute sovereignty, we see it throughout the Bible. And it's interesting that his sovereignty doesn't destroy human individuality. God, this is, the, this is the question, this is the wonder, that God doesn't destroy your individuality. He wants you to be who he made you to be. Maybe you're quirky, maybe you're odd, but he made you that way. That's a really great excuse, by the way. If somebody says, you're weird, say, God made me. But, but see, God doesn't want a bunch of robots that are the same. He wants original, can we just call you original if you're weird? He wants originals that he can use for his glory and his purpose, and he glories in that. Not all are mighty and strong and powerful and have money and, and great looks. Very few of us have great looks. I don't have great looks. I mean, supermodels, why aren't they just models? They're, they have to have supermodels. I, I, have you ever thought about that? 
But there are some people that are very, very beautiful, gorgeous people, men and women. But most of us are just pretty doggone average. God wants to use you in your average state to do supernatural things because in your beauty, his glory doesn't shine, yours does. But in your weakness, God's made perfect and his will is shown and his his power is shown. And that's what he wants. He wants his power to be shown. So God doesn't destroy our individuality. He doesn't take away our our choice, our freedom, our free will. He, He allows us to work in that way. What a mighty God we serve. Paul wrote this. Notice this verse behind me in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Amen. Amen. And God is, is, is fantastic, and he uses and he works through us. So in this review that we're looking at here in chapter 33, God, through Moses, is reminding his people of his sovereignty. I took care of you there. You complained. I took care of you there. You moaned and groaned. I took care of you there and there and there. I've led you, led you, and provided and protected you the whole way. Let me just ask this question tonight. Is there or can you remember a day or an event where God delivered you? I think we all have a story. All of us have a story. Share that story tonight. Tell somebody your story about how God, I could could stand here for an hour and tell you all the times that God saved me and guided me and led me. And I just, I wonder, I guess, God, you're awesome, the things that you've done. We have events in our life that are profound and God has been there to lead us and to guide us through. So when the children of Israel, they hear about these places like, Baal, Zephon, or, you know, Raphim, or whatever, these, these different places. They remember that God delivered them miraculously through those places. So this would be really great for them to read, to remember how God has provided. Now Moses reviews the camps from Sinai to the border of the Promised Land in verse 16. They moved from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kebroth Hatabah. And that, that place right there was right before Kadesh Barnea. This is the city right before Kadesh Barnea, and that's when the spies were sent out there. And the reports came back that there's giants in the land and fortified cities. And because of their unbelief, they were made to wander. And so they wandered to 21 more places in 38 years, verse 17. They're zigzagging all over the desert here. They departed from Kebroth Hatva and camped at Herzoth. They departed from Hazroth encamped at Ritmah. They departed from Ritmah and camped at Ramon Perez. They departed from Ramon Perez and camped at Libna. They moved from Libna and camped at Rissa. They journeyed from Rissa and camped at, I mean, it goes on and on and on. They went to all these places. They departed, they left, they camped, they departed, they left, they camped. Go all the way down to verse 34. They moved from Jotbathah and camped at Arbanah. They departed from Arbanah and camped at Ezongeber. Now, this is where they come back to the border again. They're, they're at the border after wandering to all these places, zigzagging across the desert. They're back to this area of Kadesh Barnea. Notice verse 36. They moved from Ezongeber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, which is Kadesh. Then they moved from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the boundary of the land of Edom. So 38 years of wandering is what's been given in these verses here. Crisscrossing the desert. Time that was wasted because they didn't believe. This was wasted time, wasted years. Their unbelief caused a whole generation to die. You've heard it said, and I'll say it again, but unbelief is a thief. It's a thief. Unbelief robs you of your faith. Unbelief robs you of what you know to be true because you're afraid and you're unbelieving rather than being faithful and trusting and believing in God. James 1.6, notice this verse behind me, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
Last Sunday morning, some of the elders in the church prayed for JC. Uh, John's one of our security uh, guys out in the parking lot. And he was just diagnosed last week with prostate cancer. Very serious. Very serious. And he came up and I, I said, he told me the story. I said, you need to come up and let the elders pray for you. Okay, I'll do that. So he came up and we surrounded him and he quoted this verse to us. He's trusting the Lord. He said, you know, I'm going to be healed whether it be here or in heaven. I believe it. God's already done it. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. And then he quoted that scripture. I'm not supposed to doubt. I'm supposed to only believe because I don't want to be like a wave tossed back and forth. It was wonderful to hear him say that. It was a blessing. He's trusting the living God. Unbelief means wasted time. Unbelief means wasted life. Unbelief means wasted opportunities. We as Christians have to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to trust the Lord. That's what we're seeing here in this story. They didn't believe, so they wasted lives, wasted time, 38 years. And now in verse 38, notice, Kadesh to Moab, then Aaron the priest, went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. Aaron was 123 years old when he died at Mount Hor. Now, Aaron is another example of a person of the older generation that although he was faithful and faithful to his brother, he, he broke down. Aaron broke down and, and fell into that trap of unbelief. And it was back at Meribah. When they got to Meribah and the water was bitter, he, along with everyone else, was complaining. It's Moses' you know, brother, and he's complaining whining about what's going why are we here and what is going on and, Mo, and Aaron complained and because of his complaint he's not allowed to go into the promised land because of his unbelief so that's where he died he died right there before he got to the promised land so God brought judgment on Aaron even though Aaron was faithful most of the time why because he failed there's always a consequence to our sin I don't ever forget that God will forgive you of your sin today, tomorrow, next week. He'll forgive you when you confess your sin is forgiven. But there's always a consequence to our sin. Notice verse 40, Now the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south of the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. We read all about Arad there earlier. So they departed from Mount Hor and camped at Zalmona. They departed from Zalmona and camped at Punan. They departed from Punan and camped at Oboth. They departed from Oboth and camped at Abram at the border of Moab. They departed from, from uh, Ijim and camped at Dibon Gad. They moved from Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathim. They moved from Almon Diblathim and camped in the mountains of Abram. I should have written that on my hand before Nebo. <laughs> Again, what we're seeing here is they're moving, they're moving. In each one of these places, God had given them victory over their enemy. Remember when they were in the southern area right before Canaan, God gave them victory over these kings. That was where Balaam and Balak and all that stuff was going on. But God gave them victory, and he's reminding them here in, in their history about all that God had done. Verse 48, they departed from the mountains of Ephraim, camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. Notice that. Plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. They camped at Jordan from Beth Jesmoth as far as Abel, Acacia Grove, in the plains of Moab. So Jericho now will be the first city that's conquered as they go into the Promised Land, as they cross the Jordan River. All of these areas, these places, these camps, are significant in the journey of these people. And they all had significance, and they all were to be remembered. And God wanted them to remember that through it all, he preserved them, he protected them, he provided for them. At all those places where they were doubting and complaining, God provided. Where they were moaning and groaning, he preserved them from their enemy. God has protected them along the way. 
They needed to remember. I'm not good at remembering. I don't know if any brothers can relate to, do you have a wife? Is it like, does every wife in this room remember stuff like my wife does? She knows some of your birthdays. She knows when your babies were born. She'll say, don't you remember their baby was born 10 years ago in Jan, January? It's like, I don't remember their name, let alone when they were born. <laughs> Remembering is good. She, it's good. She reminds me she'll be standing by my side on Friday because I don't remember everybody's name. And she'll say, she'll say Jacob or Sally. Yeah. Oh, hi, Sally. And, they, and Sally feels like I've known her forever. And I do. I've known her forever. I just forgot her name. But I'm so glad that I have Esther <laughs> who remembers those things. It's important to remember those things so you can at least seem thoughtful. I mean, I, I think I am, but I'd like to be more thoughtful. Moses, again, the, the point here is that Moses is reminding the people. He's reminding the people about all the places that God led them. And now, in verse 49, they're in Moab. They're, they're about ready to go in. That was where Moab, remember, that was King Balak and and Balaam, the, the prophet, and all that went on there. He wants them to know that. Why? So they'll remember that God was sovereign, that not even a false prophet, not even a, a king could stop them from going to where God had led them. Nothing can stop the will of God. He's sovereign. You can slow things down. You can make things harder. But God has a plan, and it will not be stopped. Remember, God, for each one of you, he has a future and a hope. Romans 8, 28, all things work out together for good, right, to those that love the Lord. If you'll follow his plan, if you'll walk in that path. Now here in verse 50 here, the last closing uh, verses here in chapter 33, this is really an important part where they get direction. They're going to get direction about what they're going to encounter when they go into the, what God expects of them when they go into the promised land. They're to drive out the enemy, demolish the idols, and divide the land. That's what they're supposed to do. So thus my title here, Drive, Demolish, and Divide, verse 50. So the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall... Drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images. And demolish all their high places. Notice in that verse, three times he mentions their idol worship. These people rejected God. We'll see that they come from uh, Abraham's family way back in Genesis 15. But these people have rejected God, rejected God year after year, hundreds of times, hundreds of years. And they've placed all kinds of idols in high places in their land. And God says, I want that all destroyed. Destroy their engraved stones, destroy their molded image, demolish their high places. Verse 53, and dispossess the inhabitants of the land so that you can live in it. For I have given the land to possess and you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give larger inheritance. To the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. That phrase, the land, or Canaan, the land, the land. It's all about the land and the land that, that they're going to given, be given by God. Sixteen times we see that phrase used. It's because God expects them to go into that land. That's the path. That's the goal. He has set a goal before them, and he's going to get them there, even though they've wanted to go left and right, and they haven't wanted to be obedient. But he's going to get them there. For the past 38 years, they've been wandering. They've made mistakes. But it didn't alter God's plan. It slowed down their progress. Didn't never, it never altered the sovereign will of God. I really think that's the importance of this story as we're reading this chapter. God is sovereign. We need to see that and understand that. And we need to believe that, and that's how we can pray by faith. That's how we can trust in the Lord, because he promises to get us through. We just need to act like it and believe it 
and not be unfaithful and unbelieving and wander for 38 years like these people did. Ever feel like you've been wandering as a Christian? Maybe, maybe you haven't given your all to the Lord. Maybe you're not following the Lord as closely as he wants you to and you're on a wrong path. But he will. He will get you where he wants you to be. He's going to get you there. It's very, very important to understand that. Verse 52, notice he says, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land. In other words, you're going to get there. I'm going to get you there. When you get there, finally. And I believe that would have been encouraging for them. They're not there yet. They're on the other side of the Jordan. They just, two and a half tribes are going to bail. What's going on? He says, what's going on? And then Moses says, here's the word of the Lord. When you get to the land. I'm sure most of them are like, oh, okay, we're going to get there. We just need to trust in God's promises. We need to trust in God's word. God had a plan all along. He's going to get them there. But here's the question. When you read that text of scripture there, maybe you know the scriptures and you understand the battles and God's calling his people to completely exterminate people that are in a city. And you go, ooh, that's harsh. That's, that's, that's a little extreme. Notice verse 52. Drive out all the inhabitants. Verse, verse 52. De- destroy, demolish everything, the high places. This is the reason why. God wants his people to be in the land of Canaan. He wants them to understand that he's given them total authority, total conquest. But it's up to them to enact it and to be obedient to God. They were called to drive out and dispose. That's what their calling is. And we're getting that small little snapshot. We'll look at it more in depth when we get to the book of Joshua. But he wants them to have total conquest, destroy every altar, every image, every temple. He wants them to have this land that's free and clear of idolatry that might infiltrate into his people. He wants it wiped out and moved out and destroyed so that they can come into that place that he's promised them so it will flow with milk and honey and all of his wonderful blessings. The reason for the extermination of these nations is a history, not a week, not a year, but hundreds of years of their disobedience They were known to sacrifice their babies in the arms of Baal. They were known to be involved in all kinds of sexual perversions in their worship of their idols. These were a wicked people with wicked laws and wicked ways. And they got worse and worse. And just like in the book of Romans, if you've ever read Romans chapter 1, there's a devolving of the human man when he gets into all kinds of perversions and finally perverts his own sexuality and God turns them over. I mean, that's the end. All kinds of bad things happen until you get to the sexuality. And we're seeing that even in our society when you can choose to be whoever you want to be and have operations to to physically change you. I know that that challenges what you're learning in your your class, you're, you're, going, you're working at a place of business and you have to take sensitivity, sexual sensitivity training. And we're required to let some drag queen walk into a library and read books to your children. That's perverted. That's twisted. We need to stand against that. We need to know what it is and stand against it as Christians. Not violently, but go to our city councils and demand that they bring, bring morality back into the place and not have some drag queen read a book to your little impressionable three-year-old. Sick. But in Romans 1, it talks about the, just the, the spiral of the man and, and how his character and nature changes, and it becomes what Paul calls reprobate. And God turns them over to the reprobate mind. You want to be reprobate? And he turns them over to it. And then they can never be saved. That's a dangerous, dangerous place where I see our culture, our society going even today. That's why as Christians, we need to stand up and be lights. Not only in our voting, but at an at a office, at a place of work, at a place of, uh, uh, where there's discussion and debate at a city council meeting where our voice needs to be heard. These people 
were so, so wicked. God orders their annihilation. And, and, and the first thought is that's extreme, but it's not. It's not. Because he doesn't want them to corrupt his people. He wanted the Canaanites out and all of their defiant idolatry and pagan practices. Now, here's the, here's the application for us today. I've given you a little bit, but here's some more. If you call yourself a Christian and you begin to follow the Lord, the first thing that you have to do as a believer is you have to demolish that stuff that was sin in your life. You understand what I'm saying, right? When you come to Christ, God calls you to holiness, to separate yourself from that stuff. But here's the problem. I see it all the time in the church. You know, I, I get off on weed, and I can do my own weed. I can do my own uh, uh, altered state of consciousness with my drug. Uh, you know, I, a little bit of pornography, a little bit of wine, a little bit of dabble, this and that, and it's all okay. And I'm a Christian, and don't tell me, Pastor, what I can't do. I'm not telling. You stand before the Lord and be judged, not me. But I'll tell you this. If you play around with stuff that God saved you from, you're going you're gonna to find yourself going down that spiral. You, Christians need to separate themselves and demolish everything, the idols, the, throw away the drugs, throw away the weed. But weed is so harmless. It's acceptable in Colorado. Well, don't move to Colorado, Christian. Ask God to deliver you from that addiction. You need to be delivered from that because it's mind-altering. And if you're messing around with weed, if you're messing around with casual drinking, casual just to, to get your buzz or whatever, beers or whatever it is, you, you have a problem. And your problem is with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can't control you when you're being controlled by another substance. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is important. I don't know how many people I talk to and Jerry Brown and U-Turn for Christ and that drug rehab thing. I, I talk to these people. I spent time with Jerry Brown in the Philippines a couple of years ago. I didn't know that he and his wife were like total drug heads when they grew up. I didn't know that they were so lost in drugs that they didn't know what they were doing. And God saved them. And they dropped that stuff like it was hot on fire. And they turned to Christ and they never went back. But their stories, I was like, you did What? And they laugh, they're laughing their heads off at me. Like, I never did that. I, I don't understand their story. But God saved them, and they'll tell you, as people that once dabbled with those things and, and immersed themselves in, in that culture, they'll tell you it, it's evil, it's wrong. And you need to cut it off, Christian. You need to completely cut it off because God can't use you. You can fake other people around you. You can't fake God. He always sees you. He knows so are you a full-on committed Christian? Have you cut off the idols? Have you thrown away the drugs? Are you, are you done with those? Have you destroyed all those things? Paul says this in Ephesians 4. Notice this. He says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to his deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. God wants to renew you. And he can't renew you when you're playing, when you're playing with stuff can't be renewed. Well, I have power to do that, Pastor. You, you have no right to tell me what I can and can't do. I don't. But you're going to stand before the God, the judge of heaven. I don't want to stand there and make an excuse because you can't make an excuse to God. He wants you to cut it off. He wants you to destroy it. Just like these people, decisively and radically step away from that. And allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Because listen, God won't tolerate sin in his child's life. He won't tolerate it. And there'll be a price to pay. And something's rotten in your refrigerator. You, you, don't, you, know, you start smelling and then you don't throw away one item. You start throwing all of it away, right? And you wash your hands. You don't wash everything but your pinky. You wash it all. You want the whole cleansing on your hands. I mean, if you went to Dennis Mike, we have, Mike is a dentist. He's out in security sometimes. He has his own dental thing. And if you went to Mike and said, you know, you're going to give me a root canal, Mike? Can you only get part of it? Because they heard just part of the root canal. They just want part of it out. You want to leave the other rotting part of your tooth in your mouth? No. That, I, you see my point? You've got to get rid of all of it. 
Augustine gave three stages of sin. Notice what he said. Number one, Lord, make me good, but not yet. Number two, Lord, make me good, but not entirely. Or number three, Lord, just make me good. I'm done. I'm tired. Pharaoh, Balaam, Saul, Judas. Each one of them said, I've sinned. But only the returning prodigal said, Father, I've sinned against you and against God. David, when he proclaimed his sin, he said, I've sinned against you, God. All of us need to understand that about our sin. We need to cut it off. I know I've kind of diverted, but the study really has to do with that. We need to cut off sin in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, the Corinthians were notorious for their sin. We were in Corinth just recently, and we saw all the statues and all the stuff that was going on and heard about all this wicked idolatry that was there. But Paul, speaking to those people, he says, don't you understand this? You can't live the Christian life and be in unrighteousness. You are deceiving yourself and others around you. You're not a Christian. You can't call yourself a Christian and get drunk or stoned all the time. You're not a Christian. You're not. Well, I'm a good person. Well, you're not a Christian. You might be a nice person. Paul says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, notice behind me on the screen, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And that's what I rejoice in. And I think many of you rejoice in the same thing. I used to be that. I'm not that any longer because I'm a child of God. You cannot be a child of God and play with those things. You can't. It doesn't work that way. You have to separate. Just as radically as God is calling his children, before they go into the Canaan, to demolish, destroy, cut it off, get rid of it, annihilate it. He wants you and I to do the same thing, to separate ourselves from anything that will divert us from God's Holy Spirit and his work. Don't play with that stuff. I read a little illustration about this. Ask a rancher how a cow gets lost. He'll tell you this, well, the cow starts nibbling on a little green clump of grass, and when it finishes, it kind of looks up and moves toward the next little green clump of grass and starts nibbling on that one. Then it gets near the fence, and there's a hole, so he goes through the fence to the next little clump of green grass and keeps on going and going, and the next thing you know, he nibbles himself right into being lost. That can happen. Christians that say, I can do this. I can do this on my own. I I can play with these sins. I can look at pornography as a man. I can can take these drugs, and I'm still master of my own destiny. I, I still have control. No, you don't. You've lost control. You've lost control, and you need to repent and ask God to deliver you from that vice, that problem. And when you're delivered of that, you're not to go back to it. It's supposed to be demolished. It's supposed to be wiped out. Why? Because our God is holy, and he calls us to be holy like him. Notice verse 55. If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. In other words, you're going to suffer the same fate. Think about it. Think about this. In the land of, of Israel, if you know anything about that, their biggest problem were the Philistines. The Philistines. Remember, the Philistines were down along the coast, down along that area. And today, even today, their biggest problem is that same area. 
Their biggest problem was the people they didn't wipe out and the altars they didn't destroy. They had this difficulty with these people over and over and over again because they failed to obey God. In other words, here's a lesson on compromising. Don't compromise. You're a Christian. You're a child of God, so act like it. Live like it. Deliver yourself. Walk away from all that stuff that used to hold you and bind you. Tonight, as we come to the communion table, this is a great opportunity to thank the Lord for the blood that cleanses, the broken body that that delivers me from my sin. I would just say that don't take communion until you're right with the Lord. Bow your head during the first couple of songs that the worship team sings and ask God to cleanse you of name that sin. You name it. You name it and you claim it and you call it out before the Lord and say, God, I've done this and it's wrong. I, I want deliverance of it. I want it destroyed in my life. Then you can confidently take that cup and thank God for his blood. He's done his work to deliver you of your sin. He sent his son to die on the cross to shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, went to the cross willingly, bled for you to cover, to eradicate your sin. But you have to confess it. You have to admit it's sin. Don't play with it. Tonight's the great, great night to deal with it. Just you and the Lord. So I'm going to ask that we turn the lights down. The worship team can come up. We're going to just begin in a, just this time of praying. Father, heavy duties ending to this study. I just pray, Lord, that you would receive our humble admission and confession tonight of sin. I not only pray for myself, but my brothers and sisters here tonight. And I ask, Father, for forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind some of us that are running, remind us of that sin and how it's hurt us or others. Remind us what our habit, that habit that controls us, whether it's a drug or or some other sinful habit, it controls us, Lord. We want to admit that. We want to be clean. We want deliverance. We want it destroyed in our lives. Oh, Lord, just do that work in our lives tonight. Help us, help us tonight as we, as we worship, as we pray, as we repent of our sin.
want to give instructions before you guys walk away. I just, I just want to give instructions before you walk away. So tell, tell um, Nelson just to wait right now. communion before the brothers pass out communion i just wanted to say that let's just hold our portion when you pass your portion this evening just hold your portion we want to pray we want to thank the lord for it and then we'll proceed so just hold your portion tonight as they pass out communion This uh, piece of broken bread that you hold, this little cracker that you hold, is just a representation, a symbol, representing the body, human body, the bread of life that came from heaven, Jesus Christ, who came down willingly and allowed his body to be broken for our sin. Whenever we take this, and I, I know you understand this, but taking, receiving communion doesn't make you a Christian, but it's a glorious time to worship the Lord and thank him for all that he's done by willingly coming, vicariously dying on the cross for my sin, for our sin. And so before we partake, I'm going to ask the guys up here to lead us in prayer. So we'll each say,
a brief prayer. Father, we do come here tonight with thankful and grateful hearts. Mm -hmm. Thankful that we can come, confess our sin, and you're faithful and just to forgive us. We're grateful that you wash, that we're washed by your blood, Lord. Amen. I'm thankful for being our eternal and everlasting life. Amen. Lord, I confess that this love, I have a hard time comprehending, but I'm so thankful, Lord, that you thought of me at the cross. Yes. So thankful that I can just confess my sin and be washed in your blood, Lord. Thank you, God, for thinking of me. Scripture says that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He distributed that bread to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. As often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. invite you to pray before the elders pray so let's pray conversationally one at a time lift your voice so others can hear but let's thank the Lord for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just pray, Lord, that you would I just want to pray for that brother, Lord, that, and others that I know in this fellowship that you have forgiven them of past and that you're helping them through this, this addiction that's so powerful, that you've broken that chain. I pray, Lord, that they would just remain in that place where they deny themselves of that, that struggle, that, that drive, Lord, Give our brother deliverance of that alcohol addiction. Yes, Lord. They never fail, Lord. You promise in your word that you never forsake us, never leave us. Amen. Finish what you started. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, such amazing love, Amen. Lord, that your son's body was broken for us. His blood was shed, and the shedding of that blood wasn't a covering, but it was a payment in full for Amen. our sins. Thank you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Thank and you. it's you that gets the glory. Lord, we thank you for uh, your blood tonight, God, and <clears throat> the newness of life that it gives us. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness and, and the power um, that is found in your blood, God.
when we drink this juice, we remember that the debt's been paid. That's where the joy comes. This is a symbol, it's a reminder to us that the debt's been paid. We have been freed by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and believing he died for us. We've been freed. Father, we are so grateful for your wonderful plan of redemption. Forgive us for our weakness. Forgiveness, for, forgive us for our unbelief at times. But tonight we come with full assurance and confidence in your wonderful plan of redemption that we've seen as we read from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, all the way through the end, your plan of redemption it will not be stopped. But we have the choice to receive the gift of eternal life, to receive all that you give to us, and we do tonight. We love you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross. We thank you for the shedding of your blood so that our sins would be paid in full. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's partake together.